This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. You made it. Barely in some cases, but you made it. Sandy and Sean with you. If uh, Is uh, present company included or excluded? Uh, well, you're here. Danny's here. <laughs> and you're here. Uh, kind of. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's, it's Friday. You know, it's Friday on, and it's rush hour. Keep that in mind. Uh, yes. I live about 10 to 12 minutes away. From, I live pretty close to the mile. You got to stay off I-25. Yeah, but I didn't. And you're right. It's uh, it's like Thunderdome out there. And uh, it took like 45 minutes to go. Well, it's oh, probably I've, 10 minutes. So if you have. A, I've experienced that. Like a hot date tonight or perhaps yeah. host a sports talk radio show. Um Leave some extra. Time. I wish, uh, yeah, fare thee well, fellow travelers. Yeah, uh, I wish you all what a mess. Tremendous amounts of luck on a Friday, but it is a Friday. It's supposed to be a wonderful uh, Friday. I know you got, but there's you know there's stuff happening in town this weekend. There's concerts this weekend. You know what? Uh, and I want to make mention of this because I have driven by uh, Cherry Hills mm-hmm. Country. There's Club. that too as well. U.S. Amateur going on a few times in recent days, and I've seen both preparations being made and actual tournament stuff going on. It is the U.S. Amateur. And I want to mention this right right off the top because I was uh, watching Golf Channel well into the night last night. And I saw something that apart from special events... And certainly apart from any USGA event I've ever seen, men, women, youngsters, professionals, amateurs, never seen this before. There was a match being contested. It was uh, even going to the 18th hole. The US Amateur is is a match play tournament. Right. Right. Yeah, out of Cherry Hills. And... uh, the two participants completed the 17th hole, which is the, the famous 17th hole that denied Ben Hogan, perhaps, a U.S. Open the that Arnold Palmer ended up winning in 1960 because he hit it yeah. in, the, in, the, in the pond uh, or the stream, whatever the you want to call PGA. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was the U.S. Open of 1960, the famous U.S. Open of 1960. And... Uh, Hogan was playing with Nicholas. Uh, Palmer had actually finished his round of 65, his famous 65, and uh, was leading the tournament. And yet the 17th, as those familiar with the Cherry Hills know, is a par five. But there's that little stream in front of the green, and Hogan hit into it. Now, he was able to play out of it. He, he, he was not penalized. He was able to somehow find a way to play out of that, but he ended up, I think, with a bogey on the hole, took a six, and lost his chance to win yet another U.S. Open at that point, and Palmer ended up winning, of course, and in glorious fashion. Nicholas actually had the lead in the back nine, but this was a 20-year-old Jack Nicholas, right? who... Uh, one was a little intimidated playing with Hogan. And his nickname was not the Golden Bear yet. It was actually Ohio Fats. Uh, well, <laughs> in, 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 in Arnie's Army, that was the nickname. Yes, uh, yes. Yes, without question. Uh, although, 
at that point, remember, it wasn't 1962 yet when Nicholas beat Palmer uh, in Palmer's backyard, essentially. But it was 1960, and even though Nicholas and Hogan actually got along reasonably well, uh, Nicholas was a little intimidated. He was 20. And that was right. back in the day where they played, didn't play on Sunday. They played the final two rounds on a Saturday. And so the, the 17th hole was the 35th hole uh, both had played. But earlier on the back nine, Nicholas actually had the lead and uh, he had a short putt. And I can't recall which hole it was. I think it might have been the 13th. And he had a short putt that uh, there was a spike mark, though, in front of the ball. And remember, this is Nicholas at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really want to ask Hogan what he should do if he can repair the spike. Yeah, I get he doesn't that. really want to ask Hogan, and he's too young to ask for a rules official, which is obviously what he should have done. And so he misses the putt, and Palmer goes on to win. But the seventeenth hole, very famous. And afterwards, Hogan said, "If that kid had had." I'll paraphrase. If if the kid had had any brains, he would have won the tournament by ten strokes. <laughs> well, which was actually a pretty good forecast. Not so much the brains part of it, because Nicholas won on brains uh, more often than not, especially in majors. But uh, he might have won that tournament easily if it had been twenty-five year old Jack Nicholas, twenty-two year old Jack Nicholas. Who, who would have known enough to ask for a ruling. But anyway, the, these two kids are playing, and the match is tied after 17 holes. And it's it's dark, and I'm looking out my window, which is no more than a mile, mile and a half from here, and it's, it's not pitch black, but it's dark. And it, always on TV, it looks lighter out than yes, it actually right. is, right? Yes. Well, they get to the 18th hole, and bo- both guys want to play. They, they want to finish. And uh, the one kid, uh, teen off with a three wood. These are kids, right? Hits the ball, uh, you know, into the darkness, 330 yards, and it skips into the water that is adjacent on the left to the 18th fairway. He hit the ball 330 yards with a three wood and it bounced into the water where the water juts out. I mean, it wasn't hooked into the middle of the lake there or anything like that. It bounces in if he had hit it and, and, and he, it landed, you know, the, the fairway there slopes from right to left, severely right to left slope it lands in the middle of the fairway and it just takes the slope and it bounces into the water, but it, it, it bounces in. If he had hit it 320 yards, he'd have been fine. I wish I had that. that he problem. hit a three thirty. I don't have. I don't have. And that. it bounced That's not in. My problem. Now he didn't know right, when he's coming it, off the it's tee. Half a mile away. He thinks he's going to have a wedge into the green for a second shot. And he asked an NBC cameraman, who had benefit of knowing because on the telecast you could see it bounce into the water. Asked him, "Well, where am I? Am I in the water?" And the NBC cameraman says, yeah, <laughs> you're in the water. And uh, the other kid, Chang, hits the ball in the uh, 
to the right, so when it slopes from right to left, he's it's, it's actually right in the middle of the fairway. And the Chang kid gets up and hits his second shot first because they're determining where, where the other guy's going to drop. And he hits a good shot, I don't know, 20 feet right of the flag. Great shot. From 161 yards, it's uphill. Just a great shot. So they finally determine where the drop's going to be. And because he hit it so far, he did get a little bit of a break. And he was actually closer to the hole than Chang was. So they, he, he gets his drop. And he's, I don't know, 140, 145 yards away uphill. But he's lying two. He's making his third shot, not his second. And uh, what was the movie with Will Smith playing the caddy? Legend, Legend of Beggar Vance. Remember at the end of the movie mm-hmm. when... I've actually never seen it, but star, I know what you're talking about. But, but the star, <laughs> uh, the young kid, Mm-hmm. who's, I think, played by Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Correct. Think. You're right. Uh, you know, he's in good shape going going to the last hole. And, uh, you know, hits hits the ball into the water. So he gets penalized for stroke. And he gets a great shot. And some people are thinking it went in the hole. It actually didn't. But he was able to make his par putt and have the match with... Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen. Fictionally, of mm-hmm. course. This is the 18th hole last night in the, in the dark. And they've got lights on up by the clubhouse. I think NBC put up some lights, but the, they turned all the clubhouse lights on too. So you could see the 18th green mm-hmm. just, just fine. But this, this kid is shooting. He can barely see the ball that he's hitting from the fairway. He hits the ball, and I'm I'm telling you, it, it was Bagger Vance all, all over again. The shot spun, uh, took a, well, actually took a big bounce forward, bounced within seven feet, maybe maybe closer, maybe more. It it it, it bounced about seven yards in the air and went up close to the holes, probably four feet away. And it, and the kid thinks from the crowd reaction, the kid the thinks he's made it? the shot to win the match. Unless Chang birdies the hole. Now Chang ends up putting, missing, getting his par, two putt par, and the other kid taps in, and uh, the match resumed at eight o'clock this morning. I have no idea who won, but it was one of the more dramatic things I've seen. It, it was it was just great, and these two young kids, uh, you know. Didn't didn't say a word on their way to the AT&T about stopping because it was too dark to play. And it, it was one of the most, uh, I say, one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen. So that, that tournament continues now and yes. will through the weekend. Yes, exactly. And it's it's all match play and uh, pretty good crowds at Cherry Hills. And for the U.S. amateur, Cherry Hills is a perfect venue. Uh, it really is a perfect venue. Yeah, because it's not long enough to... to- 
play a PGA one anymore. But yeah, uh, Chang loses on that 19th hole. But uh, did he? Uh, yes, Did-y? Marshall Butler well, Chang beats him. Was the favorite and Butler, right? Right? Yeah. Is the is the Marshall kid Butler who hit the ball into the water, and you're thinking he's got no chance. John Butler will play uh, uh, Neil Shipley tomorrow. Nick Dunlap, Thank Parker you for Bell. looking that up. In the Good other, those are the uh, semis tomorrow, and on Sunday, the it's a 36 round final or 36 hole final. I'm I'm rooting for Butler, and it, it, you know this is an event that Tiger Woods won um, several several. Butler's times, ranking is 11. Uh, that Neil Neil Shipley, the the player he's playing, would be the third, by the way, Ohio yeah, State but Buckeye Chang, uh, Chang, to win. Well, speaking of Jack uh, if Nicholas, that was the case, and, and that's where uh, Nicholas yeah. is interesting because remember. Yeah. And Nicholas finished. Nicholas won at the Broadmoor, the, and he the won year one before, other U.S. Amateur. The year before, 1959, 59, at the Broadmoor. He won the U.S. Open. I guess Charlie Coe. At the Broadmoor, the 1960 yeah. comes back to Colorado, finishes right. a couple shots and behind in the 1960. The and then in the 1961, goes back and wins the amateur again. Yeah. Remember, That's at the time, the, that I, was still considered a yeah. major. Yeah, it, it really isn't now. I mean, it's generally considered, isn't it, that Nicholas won 18 and Tigers won 15, I think? Yeah, they, they, nobody really kind of can. The amateur was considered so it's so fine, they, but, they don't they don't but they don't anymore, anymore because guys turn pro so quickly. And and if they did, Nicholas would have twenty and Tiger would have eighteen. Yeah, if they did, right? If exactly. Did. So yeah, but they they call uh, they call it eighteen for officially for Nicholas now. But the, right. the amateur is not right. counting a fifty nine sixty. Right. But a lot of history there in golf. Fifty nine and sixty one, and didn't uh, Tiger win three? Like 93, 94, 95, that something like that. may be right, yeah. Turned but, pro but in 96. They just don't count those anymore. Or maybe it was 94, 95, They really can't, don't count them because yeah. of the Tiger chase of Jack Nicklaus. Before yeah. that, they really yeah, did yeah, count them. And yeah, then they just yeah. decided, oh, yeah. okay, maybe we shouldn't uh, maybe count Maybe we shouldn't count them. Exciting but, stuff down at, at Cherry Hills. It's a very exciting event, and I nice love match the, play. Top yeah. tier golf in in the state because they're certainly built it. Now, and, and NBC will have it this weekend, I've I believe. I've never set foot on Cherry Hills because, you know, they're not the only people like me on Cherry Hills. Well, no, I'm no, no. I'm not saying though. You've you've but come I mean, out you've, and watched but major you've events. There. You've been there. Oh no, I I, I was there. Um, I I was there in. Let's see. They played the PGA there one one year, and I can't remember if Hubert Green won or Lee Trevino. They were the PGA was in 1978 as the last actually nah, major. I didn't that see was, that. One. Uh, okay, I, that that I didn't see. Yeah, last major. There was, in, an, um, there was another PGA in the 80s, right? And a senior open in like ninety three, ninety four. That there may have been a senior one, yeah. But I know the last visit from the, the PGA for a uh, for a major event was seventy eight. That they may. But that was the U.S. Open, correct? Yeah, that was the U.S. Open. Yeah. So. But there was a PGA title. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the, the, yeah. They, the they've, PGA had, they've had events. major. Yes. Was played in the eighties. Yes, they've had events at there. Cherry Hills. As 85, far as I, as I right? know. Am yeah. I right? 85? I'd have to double check, but that, that may end up being the case. Uh, yes, 85 was the PGA championship. You're right. Hubert Green won. Hubert Green won over Lee Tribune. And uh, collected the share of, uh, the winner's share of $125,000. So I was there for that. I went to the senior event that Nicholas won over that was Weisskopf. In, uh, 93. 93. And the only time I've ever been on there was the U.S. Women's Open in 2005. I was I did, there for I was that. there for that. Uh, they and the, I was there in 14 for the FedEx PGA Cup BMW event, Championship, Billy Horschel. Where I saw Roy McIlroy four-putt. And that's the last time they've held a, uh, a PGA event, was the 2014 up until this uh, amateur. I, Cherry Hills is fine. I, I know they don't want to play majors there because it's too short, and there's no way they can lengthen it. The, the property on which it is built. Right. Cannot be expanded. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean there are homes around. It was built in 1922. There. Right, yeah, right. There's no and room and there's no room left 
to expand it. It's a, it's a little like Marion outside of Philadelphia. It, 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 there isn't much more he can do to lengthen it. Uh, although about 10 years ago, they played a U.S. Open at Marion, and it was fine. Justin Rose won, I think, and it was fine. I, I hate the fact that these old courses are now obsolete, at least for majors, because they can't be lengthened. I, I hate that. Hate it. And you're the, it, Cherry Hills is a tremendous venue with all kinds of history. The most famous U.S. Open of all time yes. remains the U.S. Open of 1960. It does indeed. So Championship Golf returns to Colorado this weekend. That's great. So uh, enjoy that as, for as well. segment talking about the U.S. Yeah. Well, well that's, that's, that's not in town very well, often. We'll get to the Broncos often enough. The Broncos right. play exhibition games exhibition game tomorrow. every year. They wrapped up their uh, training camp schedule technically yesterday. Of course, you know, it really very definitely I, depends I, on how you look at it. But interesting. Well, they have joint practices next yeah, week. They still practice all next week. Now, but people can't watch they, them, right? right? Well, that's the catch. The so public the catch. can no longer public go. public can no longer so we, go. So they call it the end of training camp, but training camp still continues. Even as Sean Payton said, there's still meat on that bone. Uh, talking about that a little bit with visiting uh, – NFL media star Kay Adams. Peyton visited with her yesterday. She played that on the uh, the Up and Adams show. She has on FanDuel TV. And uh, there's a bit from that that's interesting. We'll hear from her next on Molly Sport. I met a gypsy and she hit me to some life game to stimulate and activate the left and right brain. Say, baby boy, you only phone can add your land. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Broncos have wrapped up the, let's just say the public version of training camp, that that frame, because they're still going on. I mean, this is still, uh, they're still practicing. It's like they just stopped any time between now and, and game one. They have, of course, a game against the 49ers on Saturday in San Francisco, but uh, Kay Adams, former, the former host of uh, Good Morning Football on NFL Network, has started her own show called Up and Adams because, you know, she's got famous and she can do that. And it's Very you, clever. Yeah, it's I a like YouTube it. show on uh, FanDuel TV, but she shows up and, uh, um, one, she's well-respected. Two, um, for whatever reason, media members sort of act like they don't know what to do, but uh, good for her because it makes it easy for her to clean up and get all the guests well, because everyone's yeah, just standing she, there she, being doofuses. She's very professional, and she gets guests. And yep. She got a one-on-one with Sean Payton. To even get him, at, by the way, in a by. photo with the Gilligan hat on, which I don't oh, think yeah. he loved, but uh, <laughs> but but she got it done. She got it. And uh, had yeah. an interesting conversation. I like that, though. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hold the feet to the fire. Because I think yeah. Sean Payton in, in both Denver and in uh, New York Turned him back into fashion all of a sudden. So, uh, oh yeah, he, yeah, he helped the industry. Yeah, yeah. Garrett yeah. Wilson was talked uh, was said he was not supposed to talk about whether uh, yeah that was yeah. aimed at well, the, Sean Payton it, or not. Didn't Shannon Sharp? I remember always wearing oh, those hats yeah. in the preseason, and Vaughn Miller did. Didn't seem to hurt either one of them. No, one's one's in Canton, the one's other one in Canton, the other will be. <laughs> exactly. First time he's seems like that's been okay. But she had an opportunity to talk to Sean Payton and had, had an interesting angle on it and asked what makes Sean Payton the right coach for Russell Wilson. Why are you the perfect coach for I think, Russell Wilson? Um, 
Well, I think, look, we competed, our teams in Seattle, just for whatever reason, it seemed like played a number of important games in years past. Um, we coached a number of those guys in the Pro Bowl back in Florida, I want to say six years ago. So Russ was one of the quarterbacks. And I, I think, look, when the common goal from certain players and coaches and the group is the same as to win and, and to win at a high level, then uh, it's easy. Um, now, the work is difficult, but he's been, he's been fantastic. Uh, he's one of the first ones here. He'll be one of the last ones to leave. He'll step in my office. We'll talk about you know, a package on offense, um, all of those things. And I think that you know, there were 16, 15 years where I, I was with Drew, mm -hmm. and then the last year with Jameis and a number of Jameis other. Jameis looked great before his end. Like, I couldn't wait to see what you're going to do with Jameis. Well, and so coming here, you know, there are a lot of work ethic similarities. Mm. And now, they don't play exactly the same, and, and that's fine. Um, but I would say, yeah, it, it's, it's been really good. Um, he's, he's in great shape. He's down like 15 pounds, Russell is. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? What, well, what, what do you want? I what do I need to know? One of the things he does well is, you know, a lot of the off schedule plays. You know, something breaks down, he can, he can escape and then keep a play alive. He does that extremely well. And obviously, with the shape he's in now, I mean, if you're going to do that and run, he was always a threat to run, you know. And uh, so I think that we're kind of seeing that what we were used to. Um, these last two weeks has been have been really good for him. I mean, he's really been on point. Now, there's an interesting way to parse that because we've talked about this this week. And the funny thing is the comment he made about Jameis Winston, who I, I think who that's very interesting. Mobile, that's the comparison. but not a runner. Not, no, no, but that's the comparison. Yeah, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson aren't at all like Jameis Winston and Russell Wilson aren't identical, but it's a much more valid comparison. The, the, not, and Jameis Wills, they, they Winston was thought run. to be uh -oh, his, uh, on he, the backside of his he, career when he came to New Orleans. He had failed in Tampa. Yes. And I, I, I get that, you know, if you're looking at, say, Jameis Winston's career isn't necessarily what you want from, you know, from, from Russell Wilson. I get that. Now, the year before he came to well, New Orleans, I, I'll tell you what, he if, threw for 5,109 yards right. and led the league. Well, you know, he also yeah. led the league in interceptions. Right. That was the problem. And touchdowns. But he, but he did lead, yeah, he was tied for the league leading touchdowns as yeah. well. But here, here's what I'm going to say. If Russell Wilson is nearly as good as Jameis Winston was in 2021 before he got hurt, uh, it was just seven games. Where he started with but, 14 touchdowns and three picks? If that's <laughs> Russell Wilson, let's say through the first seven games, uh, the Broncos and Peyton will dance. be thrilled. Absolutely. Russell Wilson will never, ever get back to the point that Drew Brees was, even at the end in Drew Brees' final year, which is 2020. And Winston came on the next year, and he was a starter until he got hurt just short of midseason. And then it was Taysom Hill. It was Trevor Simeon, basically for the rest of the the season. Um, but had he not gotten hurt, they might have made the playoffs that year. I mean, they still finished, they nine, finished and nine and eight. And, and if and like he doesn't said, get hurt, I bet yeah, they make the playoffs. I mean, in those, like you said, in those seven games, 
14 touchdowns to three picks, an interception rate of 1.9% passing. And and I think the the, the mention there that, that Peyton had is intriguing too about the you know off-schedule plays because we've talked about that in Wilson's improvisational skills. And it is possible that there's a middle ground. Um, and I think I think on the bright side, and I'm looking forward to seeing this on Saturday, on the bright side on the game last week, as we pointed out 14 dropbacks, 13 passes from the pocket. And we can quibble about, of course, he had Dukes. There wasn't, in, in certain cases, it was bad blocking. That's true. But we both agreed that there was a clear effort by Wilson to play within the system he was asked to play. You can, you can quibble about the effectiveness. You can say how many times it was dropped back. But yep. there was a clear effort to try to play. We, we saw it. Because we watched him all last year when he could kind of do what he wanted. There was a clear effort to try to work within the function of the offense. I think it was interesting that Peyton pointed out, because even Peyton, who says, look, this is how we run the, run, run the offense, certainly understands sometimes plays do break down. And at that point, I can imagine the relationship gets together. Like at that point, Russ, then you can do what you can do. But as we heard from Joe Lombardi this week, just don't do it too early. When, when right. the moment comes. And if it wasn't an issue, yeah. he wouldn't well, and have I, I mentioned think, it. I think it is, but I think that's where they're trying to tune this in. It sounds to me as if that Wilson has bought in, okay, I want to do this on the, I, I want to buy in on the offense. I'm going to try to do the offense. His instinct is still to break out early. That's where Lombardi is saying, okay, we see what you're doing, Russ, but we need you to tighten I, it up a it, little bit more. Here's what I think we have to be mindful of. Uh, Joe Lombardi has worked for Sean Payton before. Yeah. Sean Payton has a reputation as an aggressive play caller. If anyone spent any time following the Los Angeles Chargers in recent years with Joe Lombardi as the offensive coordinator, he is about as conservative as they come. And so if I were to suggest that Sean Payton may actually be the one who has more patience with Russell Wilson because Joe Lombardi is very conservative. I think Justin Herbert, who's been damn good and would be regardless yeah, of who the coordinator certainly. happened to be, I think Herbert will be much, much better this year. First of all, he'll be, probably be healthier, hopefully be healthier than he was last year. Last year he had rib cartilage injury. And even uh, in one of the games against the Broncos, you could see he was really affected by it. Uh, he didn't throw deep last year with a rib cartilage injury nearly as much or as effectively as he had the year before. But it, it, you see, even with Herbert, a quarterback, how conservative Joe yeah. Lombardi is as an offense. Which is interesting now, because Brandon he was Staley calling the plays. is sort of oddly aggressive at well, strange points in time, and that I, wasn't a great fit for the pair. Well, no, I, I don't. Think, not there anymore. Uh, no, I, I think that's true, and I, I think there was the opportunity to get Kellen Moore, too, uh, just because Mike McCarthy felt like I have a better chance to keep my job if uh, yeah. I'm calling the plays, Correct. rather than having Kellen Moore continue to He's call the plays. Right. And uh, of course, Vic Fangio, very famously in his final season, acted like he saved his job the day he, as he put it, outcoached Kellen Moore. Right. As if Kellen Moore were a head coach. Of course, he wasn't. Uh, but Fangio only cared about how his defense did against Dallas's offense that day. So in Vic Fangio's mind, as the head coach, his counterpart wasn't Mike McCarthy. It was Kellen Moore, uh, which explains why Vic Fangio's a lousy head coach and explains why he never got a chance to be a head coach before he was foolishly hired here 
by the Broncos. The the point you're making with Lombardi is interesting. Of course, he worked with the Saints from 2007 to 2013, going from offensive assistant to the quarterbacks coach, then went as offensive coordinator for the Lions for two, two seasons, then came back as the quarterbacks coach again through the 2020 season, the last three years, offensive coordinator, of course, two with the Chargers, as you pointed out, and now back with the Broncos. Uh, not actually that experienced as an offensive coordinator. This will only be his fifth season, and the first two was actually were almost a decade ago. So, it's uh, it, it's a return to a, a different he, role, but his fit with Peyton is rather lengthy. He is much more conservative than his grandfather was. Air Force guy. With the Air Force guy. I, I, I'm yeah. saying his grandfather is Vince Lombardi. Uh, I'm aware. Vince Lombardi was much, much more inclined to throw the ball, develop a sophisticated passing game. Of course, he had Bart Starr, who I think is the most underrated quarterback who ever lived. Um Bard Star is definitely in the top ten. He might be in the top five of all time quarterbacks. Nobody puts him there because he didn't. But have that's great also stats. why Breeze and but uh, Bard Star was a better quarterback than Johnny Unitas. Oh wow, he was. Bree- Breeze he and was. Lombardi just look at the record. We're just good look fits. at the record and don't tell me Unitas never had any good coaches. Weeb Eubank was his coach when he first got to Baltimore. Weeb Eubank won championships mm-hmm. in both the NFL and the AFL, and he will forever be distinctive in that respect. No one since there isn't an AFL anymore, will ever be able to match Eubanks winning as head coach in an NFL uh, city, Baltimore, twice, and an AFL city, New York, in 1968. And, of course, after we Eubank, there was Don Shula. And I know Unitas didn't get along with Shula at all. In fact, despised Shula. But still, it's Don Shula, for goodness sake. He never won a championship with Don Shula. In fact, after 1959, Johnny Unitas really wasn't responsible for winning much of anything. He was responsible for playing rather badly, actually, in big games. And Bart Starr played great in big games. Bart Starr was the Tom Brady of his time. The pairing between Lombardi and, say, Drew Brees, the idea that, that Lombardi is somewhat conservative, and he was the quarterback coach, Which too. Is, it, 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 it puzzles me because... Again, the thing about Vin, one of the many myths about Vince, Vince, Vince Lombardi. Vince was his grandfather, though, not his father, and that there's I, a, there's a I, separation. I know, there. I know, but you, you th- the 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 father, Joe Lombardi's father, is never a football coach, mm-hmm. uh, and I I I get that, but you know you would think because of the mythology around Vince Lombardi that he was three yards in a cloud of dust. Actually, he wasn't. And it's one of the many myths about Lombardi, who is, I think, in some ways underrated because there's so much nonsense and crap out there about him. Uh, And I'm just pointing to the irony of the fact that his grandson, who you would think in a more progressive NFL, uh, you know, more like the AFL in terms of throwing the ball and everything, Joe Lombardi is, in fact, closer to three yards in a cloud of dust when his grandfather wasn't. And everybody said, Oh, his grandfather's most conservative coach in football. No, he was actually one of the more liberal coaches. And if you go back to 1969, when Vince Lombardi had Sonny Jurgensen, who he viewed as more talented than Bart Starr by a lot, mm-hmm. all they did was throw the ball. All they did was throw the ball. So I, you know, I actually think, 
in this case, it'll be interesting because Peyton's calling the plays. Peyton's a lot more aggressive and a but, lot more inclined to throw the ball than his offensive coordinator is, and maybe that's the balance Peyton wants. He wants a conservative offensive coordinator. Yeah, to bounce things, that makes sense to me. And and the idea that Drew Brees, despite all his lofty numbers, uh, if you look at his numbers, that he was, despite the fact he had multiple years of double-digit interceptions, Drew Brees wasn't exactly a gunslinger. He was precise and not winging the ball all over the field and taking a lot of risks with Lombardi. Drew Brees, 2.3 career interception percentage is tied for the 24th best in the history of the NFL among quarterbacks with a qualifying number of attempts. It's not as if he was, you know, some mad bomber throwing the ball around. And, and that's where the, that can fit together. You can have an aggressive play, but a coach is telling you, but I need you to make the smart play within the aggressive play call. And that for Russell Wilson might be a challenge. But, right. I, but I'll give I you agree. this, Sandy. The number nine player in history with the requisite number of Intercept the low, attempts for the lowest interception percentage at 1.9% over the course of his career is actually Russell Wilson. Right. So he can do it. It's a matter of getting this tuned in. That is the sound of football coming back, and now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook's the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you can use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, and that means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code MILEHIGH. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you think you might have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll take a quick break from football because, uh... Make way for the Kings. The Denver Nuggets, the NBA champs, have their schedule coming out. And let's just say that uh, there's some randomness built in. Maybe, you know, to the victor go to spoils a little bit. A rather surprisingly favorable schedule for the Denver Nuggets. We'll take a peek at that next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The NBA schedule is out. Of course, there is uh, the NBA Cup, very, very blandly named. I wonder why. <clears throat> Waiting for a sponsor on that one. The uh, in-season tournament that uh, doesn't have any bearing on anything, so I kind of, it's definitely an experimental thing. Uh, Adam Silver has long liked well, the he way that, loves that European soccer leagues yeah. have multiple in-season tournaments that have eventually over the years created value. He'd like to get there. But uh, if this particular inaugural NBA Cup doesn't have a reward while there was the discussion that perhaps the winner might get a playoff spot guaranteed. There's opportunities. Uh, no. But uh, yeah, and they didn't go that route. They did not go that route. But the way you they at least made that. sure that they were you participating there right now. is they're just regular season games. Yeah. That will count in the cup standings. So it, it is theoretically possible, though, the Nuggets could play 83 games. Yes. If you get to the final, you could play 83. Otherwise, it'd be 82. Regular season games. That is a possibility. But if they were so to there'll have be to two teams. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Two, teams two teams will, will play, play 83. 83. Two teams will play 83. And uh, there's there's a, uh, a cash bonus there and for right. the players who win. And, I mean, it, for the stars, it's not enough to make a difference. But for younger players, it actually not. might be. Um, I th- I and think they it, do take, what is it, a nine-day break, at least for the Nuggets, December 2nd, and then they play again on the 11th, and in yeah. between, they're in this tournament. Yeah, and I mean, th- these tournament games just count as, they're just regular season games in a particular order. But yeah. 
it's um, in that regard, I'm like, well, what's the harm, right? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I think it'll take a few years to catch on, but it it might be uh, attractive. I, I mean, the I, idea I don't behind know. it is they want something to pay attention to before the of, uh, unofficial opening day of Christmas where the NBA really kind yeah. of takes off. Yeah, the NFL I, I, fades I away. guess, but boy, speaking of the NFL... You're going against the NFL with a tournament in early December, and you're expecting people to watch? I, I'm kind of with you. I'm not really convinced it's going to take off, but whatever. It's not really hurting anything, I suppose. But uh, And, by the way, college football, right. college the, football uh, tournament mm-hmm. games, yep. league tournament games going on at that same time. Um, I think finding an audience might be challenging, at least initially. I, I agree. And people don't watch college basketball until – the conference season starts, if mm-hmm. then. Agreed. And really, Mike Krzyzewski has said this for years, the problem with college basketball is that it has one month to itself, and that's March. It's the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, because of the way March Madness is emphasized, the other months, including January and February, where league games get played, People really don't follow it, except the hardcore people. I mean, people like you and me follow yeah. it. But, I mean, you know, it's our I'll job. follow it. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, you'll follow and it. And we're, of but, course, you know. But we're, we're interested. We, and we live and off this we, stuff. So, yeah. We go I mean, to games. Absolutely. And, and so on. But, you know, I I, I don't think it's bad. I don't. I, I just don't I know if it's going to do handicaps much. anybody, but I, I don't think it. The, does. the Nuggets, it by the way, move the needle as they are. Say. There are six groups to play in. The Nuggets five-team group will be the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, and the Rockets. So I would say that's rather a favorable. The players on the winning team of the whole tournament each get half a million dollars. The runner-ups get two hundred thousand dollars. If you're on the semis, you get a hundred thousand dollars. If you win. Losers get fifty thousand again for I the. Could use half a million. Yeah, I could too, but they're not asking me. But 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 those are the things I get it for. Like Nikola Jokic, no. But for say Jalen Pickett, yeah, I could use, he could use sure. another half a million dollars. Sure. That wouldn't hurt, would it? He'd and, like to be uh, on the team to make. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, yeah. but the, it depends there. But the, the way they're handling it is their regular season games. So obviously teams are incentivized to play it because well, they just count it, as part of the regular it, it, season. Here's the, to me the highlight of of the Nugget schedule is the fact that more than any other time in their history, they're on national television 30 times. Including the opening game of the season. Right. Uh, ABC three times, ESPN 10 times, TNT nine times, NBA TV mm-hmm. eight times, which doesn't plus. matter to us because we can't get the NBA yeah, TV. A lot of people don't get that. Anymore. Uh, you can't get it anyway. But uh, opening against the Lakers, and I think it's an early game. That's another advantage of being the world champions. You don't, it's it's October 24th. In the middle of the night. Right, it's October twenty fourth. Uh, the Lakers they will be in early. town. They they will play early because it so is it's it is going to be the first game of the yeah, the season. And uh, and it, you know the championship opportunity to banner goes up. Raised, you get the rings. The rings. You, in fact, the start time in Denver will be five thirty p.m. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. Because they want that national I audience. I guarantee you. And the second game will be Phoenix I and Golden State. In the second half, of that double. If the Nuggets had not won a title, no way there in that game. They wouldn't be playing the first game. Even if they did, they wouldn't be playing it here. Right. They'd be playing it somewhere else, and they'd be playing in the middle of the night. And they, they wouldn't, wouldn't, they wouldn't be playing be, uh, late in the afternoon. Making LeBron James and Anthony Davis have to sit and wait in warm-ups if the Nuggets get their championship rings in front of the team they swept, would it either? So that part is uh, obviously pretty interesting. But the, the attention is there more than 20 national games, as you pointed out. 
But intriguing as well is the way things stack up because the, the Nuggets, by nature of where they are, have to travel a lot. The teams in the middle of the country always have the most travel miles because you have to have East Coast trips and West Coast trips, whereas I get it. The East Coast teams have to go West and the West Coast teams have to go East. But most of the time, you're kind of, especially on the East Coast, just going up and down more or less the coast or, or to Chicago and, and generally stay on the Eastern side. So the Nuggets always have a big travel numbers. But in this particular case, that the schedule lays out rather beneficially for them when you're talking about the really taxing nights, the back-to-backs, the uh, three games in four nights in which the Nuggets, by the way, have the least in all of uh, the NBA by a, a couple of games, as a matter of fact, over the uh, the team with the worst, the Clippers, have 25 three-game three three and four-days schedules. The Nuggets have 16 of them, the fewest, which tells me a couple things. The schedule makers do understand, like, they're the champs. We want them on TV a lot. And by the way, when they're on TV, we'd like to avoid load management for Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, if at all possible. Here's the deal. During the first half of the season, roughly first half of the season, nine back-to-backs. Second half of the season, only four. That's fantastic. Only four. February 8th and 9th, the 22nd, 23rd of February, and the 28th and 29th. After February, they have one back-to-back, and that's March 9th at Utah and March 10th here against Minnesota. Hardly an inconvenient back-to-back set of games. I mean, Utah is basically next door. No trouble getting back here in short order for a game the following night. Um, There are a couple of instances, and I think they're early, as I scan the schedule, where the second game of the back-to-back is at Sacramento and the Kings might have a little bit of an advantage sitting there waiting for the Nuggets. And they finished, of course, as we, we know, in the West last year. They were they were one of the few teams that were that looked as if they loomed as a team that could get better. Well, yeah. 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 I, I, but I, I'm saying, what a favorable schedule. But you can't the likes of which I've never seen from a Nuggets team. No, no. Now, I remember back, uh, oh, it'd be... 10 years ago this year, they opened with something like 20 out of 32 on the road. Yep. Yep. Right? I remember that. And that was the early one, 57 games, mm-hmm. a figure they have never matched uh, as an NBA franchise, right. even still this past high. year. Yep. Even this past year. And they, they had an awful schedule. This year, month by month, October, two at home, two on the road, November, seven and eight, December, six and seven. January 7 and 8, February 6 and 5, March 4 and 6, April 3 and 4. So right now well it's balanced. 40 and 40, but there's no month where they have an unusual number of road games or home games. March is the closest with 6 out of 10 on the on the road. And as we discussed, the fewest three games in four days situation right. as well. So, I mean, none of they're spaced very, out at home. Very convenient schedule and plenty great. of rest. For uh, the Jokic's and the Murray's of the world, uh, plenty of rest over the final it, it three is months easily, of the season. I think you, you hit it on the head, Sandy. It is easily the most favorable schedule I've ever seen a Nuggets team have. Oh, and I'm not even sure it's far. close. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you know what? And people say, well, why, why do the champions get the easiest schedule? Because they've earned it by being the champions. And I have no problem with that. And they've also and created some star power. Apply, if it didn't apply to the Nuggets, then you'd have a yeah, well, I have they, noticed, they, yeah. When the Lakers won championship, they got an easy yeah. uh, schedule the following year or an easier schedule the following year. As they said year. before, to no, the victor go it, the spoils. It, it, hey. it doesn't matter. 
you know, Adam Silver is fair in that respect. With David Stern, you got the feeling that he was a big city commissioner and didn't much care for mid-markets, small markets. Uh, You don't get that sense at all with Adam Silver, and I think Adam Silver is a much better commissioner uh, since David Stern left than David Stern was during the last half of his reign as commissioner. I agree Listen, uh, Stern's first half uh, as commissioner, basically 30 years he was commissioner, first 15 years, as good as he had anything Roselle did. It was in the legit, legitimate risk of failure at that right. point in time. When he and took I, I over. Will give that to David and, and, and they were kind of on the edge of coming out of it uh, when he took over as commissioner. But I think in Larry O'Brien's last few years, maybe Stern was doing a little more and O'Brien was doing a little less. And so the transition wasn't that jarring. And of course, Stern had the benefit of. Uh, of Michael Jordan uh, coming into the league shortly after he became right. commissioner, and that helped. Uh, but yeah. but people who tend to have hazy memories will say, well, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird helped Stern. Yeah, they did, but they came into the league when Larry O'Brien was in midterm as commissioner. Right. <laughs> and uh, they were still, I remember 1980 in the finals were still – on late at night on tape delay and, and they, with Magic yeah. Johnson, Kareem and those Abdul were fully Jabbar, stars from and the Dr. J yeah. playing in the NBA Finals. Fully formed, uh, walking into the league in Bird and, and Magic's cases, obviously. So, yeah, the benefit a little different. But now, I, I do I do it, like what Silver is doing. And I also, you know what, I'm even for this cup thing. Because, as we pointed out, there's no real negative. You, you, you throw it against the wall. You see if it sticks. You see if, if you get a feel. Did the players like it? Did it get us a little more attention? Uh, you're not married to it. It's just basically an alteration of the early regular season schedule. And we were talking about with the Nuggets, it's not hurting anything. Listen, I, I, I just want to say, lest people get the wrong idea, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson saved the NBA, quote-unquote, more than Michael Jordan. By the right. time Michael Jordan came along, Stern was commissioner, I think it was the golden age of basketball, almost regardless who the commissioner had been, because you, you did have great teams and rivalries all over the place. And, you know, I think it was as good a stretch as the Denver Nuggets ever had until maybe the last five years with George Carl. And maybe we're starting a stretch of uh, superior achievement in the history of the Denver Nuggets. And I right think now, we're starting. In part because of the way that Adam Silver has administrated this league and continued to right. work with the and union you, as you well. And you have Milwaukee as a champion. And Phoenix almost was Small there. mid-market. Phoenix got close. Sacramento, we talked about them. They were... <laughs> yeah, we're, it's a different world. And, and it's a better... The NBA realizes that as last year when... Phoenix has made its run. When Milwaukee has won, when the Nuggets have won, they realized your ratings haven't dipped a bit. As right. a matter of fact, hey, guess right. what? Maybe competitive teams in more markets is better than competitive teams in fewer markets. Turns out that's yeah. the case, especially for the global growth of okay. the game. So all of that bodes well for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, good for them. Our friend Justin Adams, of course, the uh, CBS News Colorado, is going to join us in a little bit. And, I mean, we'll have to talk about the Denver Broncos. Uh, Javante Williams. Supposed to come back on Saturday. We have to talk about that, but of course, uh, we're not going to talk to have the former Buffalo on and not talk about Coach Prime and the CU Buffalo. So we'll do both of those things next on My Life Sports.
If you catch me at the border, I'm 